Hey, hello from Peru, South America. A special hello goes out to my pastor and to my friend, John, and his beautiful wife, Chris. I want to say thank you for the monthly support that JFC gives us. And to those of you that help on top of that, thank you very, very much. It's greatly appreciated. Speaking of money, um, John, when you and James came down last uh, November and you borrowed $20 from me, you promised to pay it back. All joking aside, we're excited about having JFC come down in July. Let us show you what they'll be doing. We're gonna start your trip out by taking you high up into the Andes of Cusco. It's an ancient city built high up in the Andes at 11,000 feet. There, we'll visit an orphanage. And while you're there, why not take you to Machu Picchu, which is one of the wonders of the world. When we come back to Lima, we're gonna take you where we work, which is the slums of Lima. There we have a center called Casa de Luz. Oh, that's a terrible picture. Let me get you a better one. We're gonna start your trip out by having church for moms. And then the next day on Monday, we're gonna do vacation Bible school for the next two days. We're gonna be handing out shoes. We're gonna be washing the kids' feet. We're gonna visit all the moms in that live in the shacks above and around Casa de Luz, and we're gonna deliver bread, food, and a family Bible to each family we visit. At night, we're gonna be working with our teenagers, and on Wednesday, we're gonna load up three bus loads of kids and teenagers and take them to a really nice park where we'll have a day of baptism, games, food, and a lot of fun. On your last day, we're gonna bring you to a district called Mir Flores where you can hang out and catch the sunset on the beach. I believe the center of God's heart is for the lost, but I believe right next to that is his love for the orphan and the poor. After 18 years in the mission field, I thank you for allowing us, the lost children of Peru, to be a conduit to the poor. I'll see you in July. My friend uh, Larry, our relationship exists so that, um, so that we can spread the gospel and so that we can insult each other with every opportunity. <laughs> that we get, and he went to a whole new level, putting it on a video in front of all of our people. So I've got to find a way now to pay him back. Um, he's watching this morning from Lima, and Larry, we welcome you and your sons and your team and all that you're doing. It's a tremendous ministry. So let me begin with this. Uh, this was supposed to be, once a year, the youth do a fundraiser for their missions. And so there's 13 of the kids that are headed to Peru. I think it's next month, early next month. Um, and uh, they, um, they needed $15,000 more, so they were gonna do a barbecue, and we picked the weekend, where in June, it's raining and raining and raining. So they switched it to pizza. Yeah, and you're about as excited as I am about that, huh? Yeah, so here's the deal. 
want you to buy pizza afterwards because all of the money is going towards the missions. So let me tell you what happened last night. Just felt like uh, I needed to challenge the people that were here that there was enough people here last night to take care of that 15,000. So 11,000 was given last night. Uh, yeah, 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 towards, towards the pizza. So uh, let me explain to you what we're trying to do. This is not how, what, what, what's the cheapest lunch in the world I could ever eat? Oh, I did it at Jubilee. I spent a quarter and fed my whole family of 10. That's not what we're trying to do. Pay a thousand bucks for a piece of pizza. Thank you for that huge, overwhelming, cheering amen. Chris and I paid $1,000 last night and didn't eat any pizza. And so I say that not to brag, but I say that to challenge. I had another person uh, who stepped up and did that. And then I found out this morning 11,000 had been given. So what if we go across the 15,000? What'll happen to the extra money? Chris and I are going on a great vacation is what. No, that is not what'll happen with the rest. And that's something, oh, someone's gonna walk out of here and tell people, that pastor takes submissions money and goes on pay. That is a lie. It is a, it's a trick. It's not true. I've got myself in trouble. What happens to the rest of the money is we will give it all to Larry and to lost children of Peru. So if we go over, uh, which I know, I know at this point, he had sent me an email last night and told me that um, they were well under budget for what, uh, what they were planning and wanted to know. Here's what our missionary said. I've never had a missionary do this. They, they have an extra $4,000 um, that they were able to maneuver out of this. He said, do you want us to refund the money back to you? I said, Sabi actually uh, was on the text, and Sabi wrote him and said, bro, we can't. That money doesn't belong to us. That belongs to God. You need to take that money and feed people with that money and do whatever you need down there. So if we go over the 15000 let's say that it's twenty or twenty-five, whatever it turns out to be this weekend, all of that goes to lost children of Peru. Uh, in fact, one of the things that we have, Reebok donated 500 pair of shoes for the kids in Peru. And normally they'll ship them down there. But this time, um, they didn't have it in their budget to pay for the shipping. So believe it or not, it's not the shipping so much, but uh, w when you go into certain countries, boy, they hit you with a tax on those things, which is such a shame because it's going to people who can't afford shoes. You saw a picture of what a person's shoes look like, and then the new shoes were able to give them. So we have 500 pairs of shoes. I've got them stacked in offices back here. I've got them stacked in an electrical room, which if you're an inspector, please, you didn't hear anything that I said uh, just now. I mean, where do you put 500 pairs of shoes at? We got them all over the place. But the team's gonna take some duffel bags down with them. Larry and his team are actually gonna be here this summer, and they're gonna take some back um, with them. So what an opportunity to do ministry to people who could never pay us back, but when you get to heaven, you know there's a scripture that says your father doesn't forget all that you do and the kindness that you show to his people. And that is exactly what we're doing in this situation. We're showing kindness to people who could never pay us back. And that's the best kind of giving right there, isn't it? Yeah, that's the best kind. So I want you to enjoy today. Even if you don't like pizza, hang around. Um, there's be tables set up as soon as you walk out. Stay around and connect. We want the community, if nothing else. Um, and what do you, Nuggets don't play till tonight. There's, <laughs> go home and watch the rain. Come on, I mean, stay here. Two, two quick jokes. You want to? No, I need to finish my announcement. See how I get ahead of myself. All right, let me finish my announcements. Uh, motorcycle rally, a week from today, if it's not raining. Yeah. 
If it's raining, don't ride your motorcycle. Uh, but if it is not raining, we have a motorcycle rally that we do once a year that'll be right after this service next Sunday. If you're a rider, love for you to come and be a part of it. We're gonna go uh, up Deer Creek Canyon. There's a restaurant that we're gonna stop and eat at and then it'll be a beautiful ride back. We've invited, we've gone to some motorcycle places around us and invited. Uh, so here's what I'm doing, a blessing of the bikes. I've never done that before. I don't know what that is. I don't know if I need to get holy water and sprinkle bikes as they ride by. I don't know if I anoint them. I don't know if I just stand and pray over them. I'm not sure. Uh, I just know this. People that don't know Jesus have said, we want to come and have our bikes blessed by the pastor next week. So we have several, uh, not biker clubs, okay? Hell's Angels won't be here next week. But uh, bikers that don't know Jesus are coming next week to be a part of the service and to bring their bikes. So... They'll be lined up out here in this middle part, and then if you want to see what that looks like, hang out after service. Um, pray for me. Terry and I are trying to decide what does a biker blessing look like. If you've seen one that's really good, email me and let me know. I do not know exactly what that's supposed to look like, um, and I'm not sure they know what it's supposed to look like either, so whatever I do, I guess it'll probably be uh, okay, so we'll, we'll be good there, but love for you to join us with that. You do need to register online if you're planning on going because we've got to let the restaurant know how many people uh, are going to be a part of that. You can do that at jfc.org slash registrations, Tara. Is that the place to go? Events? Uh, events. If I just look over there and read it, that would be uh, really good. Last is the offering. I want to take up the offering. Uh, you know, in February of this year, I began to spend a little more time being the one who takes up the offering. Uh, 113 new people, uh, first-time givers, since February have given to Jubilee. Now, not all of those have been more than once. Um, and so, folks, unapologetically but straightforward, I would just tell you, as we come into summertime and where we have been, we need you. Your church needs you. And I know sometimes you come and you think, what difference could I possibly make? I don't have anything. It's not enough to, to make a difference. We're not looking for everybody to give the same amount. We're looking for everybody to participate in being a part of supporting the work of God. That's what we're asking for. And honestly, look at me real quick. Look at me. Your church needs you. Your church needs you. I won't beg. I refuse to manipulate. But I will stand up here unapologetically and tell you, this is how it works. The people of God who attend a church support the ministry so the gospel can go forward. Do you understand that right there? And if you find yourself in a place where you go, Pastor, I wish I could do something, then be praying. Put the Lord to a test. He says you can test him in this one thing. Ask him to provide seed so that you can sow. And if he gives you the seed to sow, don't eat all your seed. Sow some of your seed. Amen? That's what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians. He gives seed to the sower. So, Father, we thank you for an opportunity to worship you, to give back to you. You've given so much to us, Lord God, in every way. And sometimes, Father, I don't know, we live in a place where we have so much, and we have so much all the time, and it's available so easily that we forget how blessed we are. But we are blessed, and we're blessed because of you, Father. And so, Lord, would you take this offering? Father, help us to know what to do, how to do what we do, who to minister to. Lord, what, what you want. We want to do what you want. God, we have a heart after you. So bless this, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can give online, give through the app, and you can give at the offering boxes that are available at all of the exit. All right, uh, two quick jokes. First one was I walked in last night with my nugget uh, sweatshirt on. I wore this, and they won, so I have to wear it now um, for the next three games. That's not a joke. So, so I walked in last night, and somebody goes, 
Uh, the Nuggets will win in four because it can't be done in three. Yes, boom, love that, love that. And then the last one, my daughter told me, she said, Dad, how do you know the difference between when you're young and old? I said, I, I really don't know for sure. She said, fall down. If you're young, people will laugh. If you're old, people will panic. That's the difference. Think about that. Yep. So if they don't laugh anymore when you stumble, now you know why and what's going on. Okay. Uh, we start a new series today called Flawed Heroes of the Bible. It's our summer series. Um, so we're going to take the next couple of months and talk about this. Let me explain to you when I say flawed heroes what I mean. We're not looking for the worst people in the Bible that we can preach a series on. That's not at all what we're trying to say. There is only one in the world who's ever been perfect, and his name is? And other than Jesus, we're all human and we all struggle with things, yes or no. And that includes characters in the Bible. Even though they did great things for God, they loved him, they, they helped in ministry, they spread the gospel, whatever they did, they participated in the miracles. Even in that, we still look and we can see they were flawed. Now, let me tell you where this idea comes from. Uh, often, I will have people tell me one of the things they like about the way that I teach, uh, the, the way that I present, is that I'm transparent. Now, sometimes it's to my own hurt because you think it might be easy to open up your heart in front of everybody. It's very vulnerable to open up your heart in front of everybody. And when I do it and I know that I'm being like just kind of ripping it all open and flaying my heart, you, the enemy comes immediately to tell me what a mistake you've made letting people know those things about you. And yet I know the thing that impacts people is when you can show them we're all in the same boat. We're all working toward people put pastors on pedestals and see them as up here and past uh, struggling and past all of those things. It's just like you, we struggle. Chris really struggles. I mean, guys, you have no idea. No. <laughs> I don't know why that came to me right then, my love. You're so sweet. You struggle with me. Yes. That's probably why I said that right there. <laughs> oh, stop. You give me half a laugh, and with her, it's the greatest thing ever said in church. Okay. So, here's where this comes from, and here's why I choose to spend the time um, really risking the vulnerability. Years and years ago, when we were in our very first full-time pastor, we were youth pastors in Lakeland, Florida, and had gone on church um, at Southeastern College, and uh, our church was, was located there, and there, um, man, we had a, a really... A staff that ranged from, we were probably the youngest on staff, I would say, at that time in our, our mid-20s, 25 or 24, somewhere right in there. And then we had people who, just all through the gamut, up to a real old couple. Um, and here was, here was the way it was then to show respect to older people. Lord, we called them brother and sister. Not Mr. and Mrs., our pastor and pastor, but brother. And so his name was Brother Hartshorn, and his wife was Sister Hartshorn. And at that time... Uh, they were well into their, their 80s. Um, he was born in the early 1900s. And he pastored, uh, I, I looked up his obituary this morning, he died in 2006. He pastored for over 70 years. 70 years. And um, his first pastor, I remember him telling me the story, he pastored in Lima, Ohio during the Depression. And his first year's salary was 25 cents a week. 25 cents a week. And the next year they doubled it to 50 cents. And he said, I was in high cotton, man. You couldn't believe how lucky I felt to make 50 cents a week. Can you imagine that? And during the depression too, he said they, they ministered to farmers. 
in that area. He said a lot of the ways that they supplemented their groceries as farmers in the, in the harvest would bring bags of groceries. And he said, we canned and stored food throughout the year. And that's how we made it on 25 cents and 50 cents a week, right? But he told me this and it always stuck with me. He said, John, if you want to impress people, tell them where you succeed. We all admire heroes. We love heroes. Jokic right now, I mean, what a hero. Greatest basketball player who's ever breathed air, obviously. <laughs> Chris yells, Michael Jordan. She knows my heart. Um, so he said, if you want to impress people, tell them your success. But if you want to impact people, tell them where you struggle. He said, because we admire heroes, but we relate to the struggle. He said, all human beings relate to having to struggle. He said, sometimes we do better, sometimes we do worse, sometimes we overcome, sometimes we're underneath, but we all relate to the idea that we're trying. So he said, if you want to impress people, tell them that you're successful. He said, they'll cheer for you, they'll clap for you, but nobody will relate to you and you won't impact hearts. So open your life up and share and be real and tell people what's going on and show them how to make it through those things or when you don't know, tell them at least to keep their eyes on God while they're going through it. Oh my goodness, what a great piece of advice he gave me as a young man. And I've tried to live by it. I've tried to honor those words. So this series then comes from that idea. What we live out and what we believe to be true is that God uses flawed people. You should all cheer for that. There's great hope for you. Any of you that have a flaw this morning, there's hope for you. God uses, I don't know, he specializes in flawed people. And some of you are very flawed. So, uh, I'm a little worked up. All right, Luke chapter 8. So here's what we're going to do this week. I'm going to pick some unlikely flawed heroes. And their flaw is different than what you would think. Instead of it being a character flaw, it was a flaw that they had in their life that Jesus used in order to change the trajectory of their lives so that these women, okay, these women ended up becoming disciples, walking with Jesus and the disciples, and actually the ones who supported the ministry so it could go far, far down the road. We never think about that. So we just think when Jesus needed money, he just went over to see a galley and grabbed a fish and took a coin out. One time Jesus did that. The rest of the time, where did he get money? Well, he could make water out of wine, so they sold the wine. Nope. Where did he get the money? God, that's a good answer. But do you remember any time where God rained money down? That never happened, right? No. So where did Jesus get money to go forward? Where did they sleep? How did they eat? So we just think, well, he could multiply fish and loaves, right? That's just what he did for all the disciples all the time. That is not, miracles aren't like that. Miracles are a thing that go against nature for a specific reason. They're not so that we can have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know that, right? Like if you need a miracle for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, dude, you're living the wrong way. Now, that was good. You should remember that one. That's a whole. So these women are mentioned, uh, I think, elevated to the place of heroes because their names appear in the Bible, and yet they are so, other than one, one you will recognize, the other two Almost, I can almost guarantee you, most of you, if not all of you, will be like, who? And yet it's mentioned right here. So let me show you this. It's three verses. This is Luke chapter 8, 1 through 3. Not long afterwards. Okay, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to read the first three words with me. One, 
two, three. Not long afterwards. So something has just happened, and then it sets up this story. The reason I want you to remember that is I'm going to end going back to what happened that sets this story up, right? It's where the whole key for this message lies. So not long afterwards, Jesus began a tour of the cities and villages of Galilee to announce the coming of the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus didn't come to say, hey, after I'm gone, the kingdom of God's going to come. He said, the kingdom of God is upon you now. And what is the kingdom of God? According to the book of Romans, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You can have righteousness, you can have peace, and you can have joy right now. Right now. And if you're not having it, it's because you're not living in the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven, but you're not living the abundant life that God wants you to have. Say amen to that. God's not a liar. You can have righteousness, peace, and joy right now. So Jesus' ministry is, he's pronouncing that the kingdom of heaven is upon you. And it didn't go with him when he went to heaven. It spread after he left. And our job, we are little containers or vessels. Uh, we're, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit so that wherever we go, we're not supposed to be looking for righteousness, peace, and joy. We're supposed to be bringing righteousness, peace, and joy. What a difference that would make if the church would do that in the world instead of constantly being like, oh, I wish I could find some peace. You are peace. Okay, thank you. Amen and hallelujah. My wife goes, people are thinking. I think people are awestruck sometimes. No, all right. (laughs) Not long afterwards, he began a tour of the cities of the villages of Galilee to announce the coming of the kingdom of God and took his 12 disciples with him. We We get that. We've known that. That's no no surprise. But then, here's this verse that somehow gets left out. Some women went along with them from whom he had cast out demons or whom he had healed. Among them, they named these three women. Mary Magdalene. How many know who she is? Okay. Jesus had cast seven demons from her. And I'll tell you why it tells us seven in just a second. Here's the second one it names. Joanna Chusa's wife. Chusa was King Herod's business manager and was in charge of his palace and domestic affairs. This is a high-powered couple for that day and time. This is a woman who has means. This is a woman who works for a pagan king. This is a pagan. Our assumption in this story is that she didn't have demons. She had some kind of infirmity, an affliction, Something that Jesus healed her from. What is the he- It says only two things. He delivered these three women of demons and he healed them physically. Yes or no? We see that right there. So because it points out that Mary had the seven demons, we assume that these other two were probably a physical healing that they need. What did they have? I mean, was it cancer? What's the one that... Uh, Parkinson's. Yeah, Parkinson's. Was she shaking so bad? And then she came to... Since the woman who has money who can go to the doctors. And for that day and age, this is not a person who just has to suffer, but she can't find relief. So she must have heard about Jesus and how Jesus heals and shows up one day, heard him teach, and he touches her, and she's delivered. And you know, he doesn't require her to leave the secular in order to follow him. So I'm going to bring out a point of that just in a minute that I think might be really good for many of you. I mean, imagine the road she had to try to balance. A follower of Jesus, and now she's going to leave Herod's household and go with Jesus on the road, and yet she's supposed to be... She must have had to walk a really fine line. I think that's interesting. 
And then the third one that it mentions is this Susanna. This is the only time her name appears in Scripture. So can I just tell you this? How many of you just love one time for your name to be in Scripture? I mean, come on. Like, so Susanna, and then, then look at this, and many other. How many of you know thousands of people follow Jesus? Jesus didn't have a small... One of the things that made the Romans nervous about Jesus is that he attracted really large crowds and crowds became rebellious and hard to control. So Jesus represented a threat to the powers that were. Not only the Jewish powers, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but also the Romans. They didn't like when he would gather crowds. Do you remember when he fed the 5,000? It said there were 5,000 men besides women and children. There are probably fifteen or 20,000 people. Think about that. Dude, in a day where you don't go to the 7-Eleven, you can't run off to McDonald's. I mean, these people suddenly get hungry. There's an uproar going on. And Jesus is like the disciples, send them away. Like, hurry before it gets bad. She's like, you give them something to eat. What do we have? Remember, a few fish and a few loaves. And he takes it, multiplies. It's probably 20,000 people that he fed that day. That's a threat. But this Susanna, she gets mentioned, and then many others, and I don't know who the many others are. Maybe they were part of the 5,000. Maybe they had been healed. Maybe they had been delivered of demons. Maybe they had just been set free. Maybe for the first time, they heard teaching that didn't put them under bondage, but set them free. And they just wanted to be around him. I don't know, but many others who were contributing from their private means to the support of Jesus and his disciples. What does this mean? The way that Jesus brought the kingdom of God around Israel was that these women, they didn't beg from their own means. They gave so that the ministry could go forward. We never think about that. The disciples had to have a place to sleep. They had to have food to eat. Yes or no? Do you see it? So why does the Bible include that in there? Because sometimes we ignore the practical things that people can do that make such a difference, and it lifts up these women. These aren't men. It lifts up these women as female disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, who are actually doing some of the hard work of the ministry. Probably cooking. Yay. Probably cleaning. Ministering. Yeah, yeah. That's the one everybody was excited. Ah, ah. That's the real ministry. Thank you, Pastor. I'm going to appreciate that. I think it's just very powerful. So let me, let me, um, I want to talk about these three women real quickly. And then remember the first part of that verse was something had happened before this. And that's where the crux of the ministry and the message is at. So real quickly, let me talk about Mary Magdalene. Delivered of seven demons. The number seven in the Bible is a number of completeness. The reason that the Bible tells us it was seven, it means that she was completely taken over by the enemy. She didn't sometimes suffer. She didn't sometimes uh, where this thing would show up in her life. This thing owned her lock, stock, and barrel. She's in bad shape. Now somehow, and I'll tell you how, she's been accused of being a prostitute that Jesus delivered. She has a reputation of being... That woman, a, a street walker, right? And that's how she got filled with all of these demons. But do you know the Bible not in one place accuses her of being a woman who has that in her background? Let me tell you what happened. Pope Gregory, the Catholic Pope back in the 300s, preached a message where he took two Marys and the woman who broke the alabaster 
jar on Jesus' feet who was a prostitute, and he preaches all three as though they're the same person. And so Mary is tagged with the label of being a prostitute. In 69, at the Second Vatican, the Pope of that time said, it's not true. Mary's not a prostitute, but a lie told long enough becomes truth. So that even in the church today, most people believe she was a prostitute. What a label to be stuck with when you're not a prostitute. But she was a woman who was filled with demons and couldn't control her life out of control, probably. I mean, you know, folks, we live in a day where mostly uh, a lot of the demonic is just called mental illness. And there is true mental illness, but there is also a real devil with real demons. And they afflict people and they harm people. And sometimes deliverance is not a drug. It's not a hospital. It's not a doctor. It's Jesus. Did you just hear what I said? Let me pastor on something real quickly. We had a great teacher last week, Pastor Steve. And if you were here on Sunday morning, you saw Steve do something on Sunday that he didn't do on Saturday. Get your phones out. It's okay. Right? I'm like, what in the world is he doing? Call somebody who's sick. Get him on the phone right now. Now, I, here, here's, let me pastor this. I knew when he did it, first of all, didn't upset me. My stomach wasn't hurting. I wasn't nervous. Like, oh, maybe I need to get up and take the microphone. Nothing like that. I trust him, I know he loves Jesus, and I know he knows where he's going and he hears from the Holy Spirit, but I also knew people in my church were going to be challenged. So let me talk about that. It's good to be challenged. It's good to be stretched. It's good to have your faith challenged and stretched every once in a while. Jesus will stretch your paradigm, my friend. What we're supposed to do is look at the fruit. Here's the fruit of Jesus' activity with these women. He delivered them from demons, he healed them from sicknesses, and he saved their souls and set their feet on the solid rock. If that takes place in anyone's ministry, they're welcome at Jubilee Fellowship. And you should welcome them the same way. And if you're like, well, I'm not, we didn't do that at my Baptist church. I'm sorry, Methodist church. No, I mean Pentecostal church. Catholic. What do you want me to call out? Episcopalian? I'm an equal opportunity offender. I'll pick what, what do you want to hear. We never did that at Jubilee before. You're right. I never heard the Holy Spirit tell me to do that, but it sure was fun to watch the Holy Spirit do something that broke our mold. And I know if you struggled with that, hey, be okay. Stretch your parent. Don't you think that the religious people of that day watching Jesus deliver Mary of seven, don't you think, why, we never saw that before. But Mary got set free. I don't know if phones have a place in church. People got healed last week. Why don't you rejoice over the healing rather than stumble over the cell phone? If you become, listen to me, if you become intellectually offended at Jesus, nothing great will happen in your life. Let me prove it to you from Scripture. On his way to his hometown, he raises the dead. He heals a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. He sends his word. No, he set free the demoniac. Those three things take place. And then he goes to his hometown and he preaches. And then it says he could do no miracle. After he raises the dead, sets the person with a thousand demons in their life free and heals the synagogue ruler's daughter. Those three things just take place. He goes to his hometown and it says that the people were offended at him when he stood up and said, in your hearing today, this scripture is fulfilled. 
because they said, this is the kid that grew up here. And they became offended at him. And then it says he could do no great work there except heal a few people. Now, if God were to heal a few people, we go, oh, that's a great work. But what if there was so much more than just a few people getting healed? My point simply is when you become intellectually offended at how the Holy Spirit moves, it will hinder the work of God in your life. So many times we decide to get off point and we're thinking, I wish God would move. Open your heart with faith. Thank you all for that <laughs> powerful. Chris, is that where they're thinking? Yeah. Is that what you're yes. saying? They're thinking right there? Yes. Yeah. Or are, are you offended at me? No, no. Don't be offended. Offense is a choice. Jesus said it's impossible for offenses not to come, but you don't have to pick them up. You don't have, oh, look, another offense. I love you so much. I love offenses. Let me take another one home. I mean, how many of you, you can't feed another offense. You, gotta, you don't have enough money anymore to feed any more offenses. I am so good, guys. You don't know how good you have it. Gah. Write that down, take a picture, get it on the video. Ah. Okay. So let me tell you three things, uh, just real quickly. And then we'll go back to Mary. All of these women had been healed or delivered from the demoniac, uh, from, the, from the demonic. All of them traveled with Jesus and the disciples and all supported Jesus and the disciples financially. Mary is mentioned, delivered of seven demons. Seven literally represents the number of fullness or completeness. So it's saying that she was completely overtaken mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and then Jesus sets her free. What happens to Mary is that she loves Jesus so much after he delivered her that she was by him on the cross when he died. Do you want to know how they knew where he was buried? Read the Bible. It was Mary Magdalene who stayed and watched Joseph of Arimathea take his body down and watched him bury Jesus in his tomb. And the very next morning, who's the first one at the tomb to be aware that Jesus is alive? Mary Magdalene. How did she know where to go? Because she watched the night before when they took him off the cross and where they laid him. So she runs to the tomb. She sees an angel. Hey, tell me. She thinks it's the gardener. Tell me, where have you put him? She turns around and there's Jesus and she doesn't recognize him. Don't understand that. Maybe it was the glorified body, not sure. And then all he says is Mary. And by saying that, she instantly goes, Jesus. And then she runs. Ah, he's alive. He's alive. I'd like to set the record straight. She may have had a flaw. She may have been demon-possessed. She may have needed deliverance. But she wasn't a prostitute. And ultimately, she was the one in Scripture who got to know. She saw him to the bitter end, or what she thought was the bitter end, and then she got to see the new beginning first before anybody else. Mary Magdalene, what a person she'll be to talk to in heaven, huh? Woo! Mary, tell me about that. Here's my question to you. After Jesus delivered her, why doesn't she just go back to her life? Kate, why don't she just go back to why don't she just go back to living? She's free now. She's no longer demon possessed. She can go back to her husband, back to her children if she had them, I don't know. She can go back to work, she can go back to living life. She can go back to not being a pariah. But why doesn't she go back to her old life? What makes her now have to follow Jesus? I'll get you there. Joanna, choose his wife. Probably healed rather than delivered of a demon simply because I would think Herod would probably fire Chusa if his wife manifested demonic in the palace all the time. 
I have an awesome sense of humor, you guys. And picture that. The king's having court. I mean, come on. Don't you think Jesus had a sense of humor? Don't you think he used humor when he taught? Come on. God gave us these emotions. So probably a disease where they had the means to be able to get it fixed, but there was no fixing it. So a pagan. <laughs> what is it about Jesus that causes pagans to come his way? What is it about Jesus that causes religious people to come his way? What is it about Jesus that still attracts people today? What is it about him? Ugh. Gosh, there's so much in that answer. Chusa is Herod's steward. He handles the finances of the household. She's married to a man of power and privilege. And she has resources. Uh, another example of what Chusa did was what Joseph did for Potiphar in Potiphar's household. Joseph is given the charge of everything in Potiphar's household. Potiphar said to Joseph, because he recognized God was with him, the only thing I want to worry about is what I eat and drink today. You take care of everything else in my household. And the Lord blessed the household because Joseph was there. That's this Chusa. The Lord's gifting was on Chusa to be able to administrate well. And he administrated all of the finances and his wife prospered because of this, but she was sick evidently and she followed Jesus and she got healed. Here's my question. Why doesn't she go back to her life? She had a good life. Think about that. In the midst of a nation of poverty, they're living very privileged lives. They got enough food to eat whenever they want it. They're living in a palace. They've got servants. They can go when they want to, do what they want to. Why doesn't this woman, who's now free of the malady, go back to her old life? Because she had a pretty good life. What makes her leave that life behind and go and live on the road with Jesus? Who is this Jesus? How powerful is this Jesus? I just wrote this down. Imagine the tension she had to walk to follow Jesus and remain married to Chusa. I wonder if he ever said to her, all right, if you're going to go with Jesus, then why don't you go marry him? Never mind. Jesus doesn't require her to choose one or the other. I think that's amazing. He didn't say, hey, leave that life behind and come follow me. Jesus was practical too and realized, follow me and you have resource which helps this go forward. Why do we have to separate, look at me, why do we have to separate the earthly from the heavenly when they both can come together and do a magnificent thing? That makes sense. You don't need to be embarrassed about where you work or what you do. Just do it for the glory of God. The kingdom of God needs people in all positions. You know, I'm a kid of the 60s and the 70s. I'm almost a 60-year-old man. I grew up during the time of Watergate. Do you want to know what soured me on politics? Watergate. It changed everything. For those who are old enough to remember, it changed everything. Up until then, there was some kind of a hidden rule where the press didn't expose a lot of the things that went on with politicians. But Nixon opened the door to all of those things, and the press ran with it, and everything was a mockery of politicians from that point on, yes or no? That's what happened. So I'm 11 years old, I'm in the fifth grade, and we're asked to write down what a politician is, and it's right in the middle of Watergate, so here's my answer. Politicians are crooks and thieves. That's what I wrote down and turned in. Remember the teacher's name was Mr. Bricky. Mr. Bricky calls my mom, brings her in, hands her my paper. To be honest with you, I've had a tainted attitude towards politicians since that time. 
<laughs> but here's the truth. Do you want to know what we need in government today? We need people who love Jesus but can figure out how to walk in that realm without compromising who they are in Jesus but able to get things done in that realm. That's what we need today. That's what we need. We don't need to reject politics out of hand, nor do we need to make politics our God, which the church has done over and over and over again. Jesus is God. But man, we need people who are moral, who love Jesus, but can walk in the world without it changing who you are to him. Does that make any sense? Dave, does that make, I mean, that is such a, it's such a powerful thing. And I'm just admitting, you know, that's that, that vulnerability, right? I know some people are going to disagree with me. Some people wish I preached politics more. I think I let out who I am and what I'm, I'm a conservative. I don't hide those things. When things come, Chris and I right now are not shopping at Target. But that's not, listen, that's not our rally cry. Come to Jubilee because we hate Target. Our rally cry is, we love Jesus. And if you love Target, come here anyway because we're going to love Jesus. And we're not going to talk about Target. My job is to preach Jesus, not to preach a brand of politics. And I think I've done that really well here in this pulpit, right? Here's my last point. You can work for someone ungodly and love and serve God at the exact same time. Joseph did it. Daniel did it. Both of them put in the most powerful kingdoms on the face of the earth at the time, Egypt and Babylon. You think our government's wicked? You have no idea what a wicked government is. Babylon literally served demons. Literally. And Daniel, a man of God, is put in the middle of that and told, you have to figure out how to govern these people and hang on to who Jehovah is. That's difficult. And yet they did it and rose to power. In both cases, they were the second most powerful people in the nation and turned the nations to God. How will that ever happen unless people who love God get involved? Does that make any sense? I hope I'm talking to a young person who goes, I'm going to change the trajectory of my life. I think one of two things, be a preacher or get in politics. There you go, right there. All right. So here's my question. Why doesn't she go live her life now? Why does she follow Jesus? What keeps her going after the bitter end? Something about this Jesus. The last one is Susanna. She's mentioned one time, <laughs> one word, Susanna. She doesn't have a dramatic story of being healed of seven demons like Mary. We don't know what her malady was. She doesn't have a prominent social uh, status like Joanna did, but Jesus transformed Susanna and it changed the trajectory of her life because what we do know about her is that from her experience of being healed with Jesus, she now goes with him and gives from her own resources and travels with them to see other people experience what she's experienced. Yes or no? That is so powerful. So my question is, why didn't she go back to her life too? Here this woman gets healed. Why doesn't she just go back to her life? And I think so many in the church, we get a touch from God and we just go back to our lives. What is it about Jesus that can change the trajectory of a life and cause a person who's going this direction to go that direction? What keeps us from just going back and doing the same thing and falling into the same trap and coming to this Jesus where everything changes? Okay. Do you remember the very first part of that verse we read not long afterwards? Okay, after what? So we're in Luke chapter 8. All we have to do is go back to Luke chapter 7. And we have this 
situation where Jesus is eating lunch at one of the Pharisees' house and this weird thing happens to Jesus. Now you talk about being intellectually offended. I bet this hasn't happened at your lunch in a long time. I bet it won't happen today at your lunch. And if it does, please tell me because I want you to tell the story next weekend here in church. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for lunch. And Jesus accepted the invitation. As they sat down to eat, a woman of the streets, a prostitute. It's clear. But there's no name. Heard he was there and brought an exquisite flask filled with expensive perfume. Let me explain this very quickly. So there are no social security system, no social net. Uh, people didn't live as long as they live today. If you were to live into your 50s, you did pretty good. And only people who really had wealth lived longer than that. The average person had a very difficult life, lots of diseases. It was a hard way to live. Water's no good. That's why they're told, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. It's a tough way to live life. They didn't live very long. So they didn't worry about retirement. But some people thought, what happens to me after I can't work anymore? So I want you to think real quickly with me. Let's be practical. How long is a prostitute actually going to work? 10 years? 20 at the most? I mean, at some level, disease steps in. They don't have penicillin. Am I being too gross for you? Come on, think. Think. Add color to the story. How long, do, how long will men want to buy her body? How long? How long is she worth them taking a second look at if it's just physical? How long? She's till she's 20 or 25 or 30? By 30, she has to be used up at 30. So she thinks about her retirement and what they would do is try to find something that would be worth value that could be sold when you can't work later on. This perfume right here, this costly perfume, was her retirement. She bought it while she's making money, holds on to it till she can't make any money, and then later on she can sell it and live on that money. You recognize this is an unclean woman. She can't be touched by anybody, and she can't touch anybody. She's not welcome in the synagogue. Jesus, <laughs> this is scandalous. Scandalous. What is it about this guy that he does the miraculous and attracts scandal everywhere he goes? He's the worst funeral guest you've ever met in your life. Messes up every funeral that he went to. I love that picture. Everybody mourning and Jesus is waking up the dead. I mean, you know, am I still going to get paid? The funeral director? I mean, what? Come on. Come on. Sir, are you enjoying this? In the gray shirt, right? Yeah. Huh? Come on. People, come on. All right. So going in. The prostitute knelt behind him at his feet. She can't even talk. She knows who she is, but she also knows who he is. And all she can do is kneel and weep. With her tears falling down upon his feet, she wiped them off with her hair. And she kisses his feet. 
And then she takes her retirement and breaks it open and pours it on the feet of Jesus. It's a representation of the anointing of his body. When Jesus' host, a Pharisee, saw what was happening and who the woman was, he was intellectually offended. Do you not get that? It's right there. And he said to himself, well, this proves that Jesus is no prophet. What kind of voice? Uh, if he were God and God had really sent him, he would know what kind of woman this one is. I'm trying to say it in my most scornful, you know, what kind of woman this is. And then Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, oops. Think good thoughts. Think good thoughts. Um, so Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, Simon replied, go ahead and say it. Uh, then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 5,000 to one, 500 to the other, but neither of them could pay him back. So he kindly forgave them both, letting them keep the money. Which do you suppose loved him most after this experience? So what's the answer? Which one would love him more? 5,000, huh? It was obvious, it's an easy answer. It's not a trick question. I suppose the one who owed him the most, Simon answered, correct. Jesus agreed. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look, you see this woman kneeling here? When I entered your home, you didn't bother to offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, which was, that was the custom to show honor to a person when they walked in your house. They had Jesus there not because they wanted to honor him. Maybe they were curious. Maybe they wanted to see a miracle. But more than anything, they were intellectually offended at this guy and they want to catch him. Wow. So let's treat him like he's nothing more than some common prostitute. You didn't bother to offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You refused me the customary, remember this is customary, kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in. You neglected the usual courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. It was such a dry, it is such a dry place. Your skin dries out so quickly there. So this was just a little a nicety but she has covered my feet with rare perfume. And then this, therefore her sins, and they are many, are forgiven. For she loved me much. And then he's now talking to the Pharisee. But one who is forgiven little shows what? You know, the difference really is the breakthrough that a person has in their life. Because the one who realizes what Jesus has done for them, really, really done for them, not just giving me a ticket to heaven, but he's delivered me, he's healed me, he's saved me, he's put my feet on the solid rock. Amen. It's not just a ticket out of hell. He's done everything to give me life. It changes the trajectory of your life. And I wonder so many in the church get their ticket stamped heaven, but go back and live the life that they're always living. Why do we return rather than follow him? And I still am going to say it today without putting up softening on it. You are required if you love him to kneel at his feet and to follow him. Amen. We are followers of Jesus. We are not fans who cheer when he walks by. We follow him when it's hard and we follow him when it's easy. We follow him when it pays off and we follow him when everybody else is intellectually offended by the story or by what he's doing in their life. Amen. Amen. 
So are you a follower or a fan when it comes to this? And what do you think about this story? But really, what do you think about this Jesus that I'm preaching right now? Is he someone to know in this really cool story and pastor can illustrate it well and so I get a better picture? Or is this Jesus changed your heart, man? Is this the Jesus that causes you still today that when you look at him, you can't go back to the way you were? No matter how good your life is, no matter how much money you had, no matter how many women you're able to get, can you still kneel at his feet and follow him? Do you do that? It's meant today we are living at a time, listen to me carefully, church. When light is becoming that much brighter and darkness is becoming that much darker and the church has stood in the middle trying to keep one foot in the darkness and one foot in the light and the day is coming where you cannot live that way. You are going to get sucked up by the darkness because you can't make the commitment to Jesus. You say, Pastor, he was so gentle. Do you not know that when he walked into the temple... (laughs) He turned it upside down because they took his father's house and made it something it's not supposed to be. And do you not know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and he'll come in and throw things out that don't need to be there? I said two weeks ago and everybody cheered. Every revelation of Jesus in the Bible is to tell you how much God loves you. And I use great stories. The woman caught in adultery. But I neglected to tell the story where he goes into the temple and turns over the table, and you're the temple, and that same Jesus, he didn't do or say anything that he didn't see or hear the Father. So if he turned over and cleaned out the temple, that's still what he'll do in our lives right now. And we want sometimes, well, I think God understands all the stuff going on in my life. Come on. It's killing you. And the revelation, Noah, the revelation of how much God has done for you, listen to me, also equals how much we end up loving him. Because if we think he only did a little thing, we love him a little. But when we know Noah, what he did for us. May you never forget what Jesus has done for you. May you know what Jesus has done for you. Sir, may you know. May you know. May the revelation of what God has done for you, yes. May you know what he's done for you. May you really know. May he not be some character from history that died on a cross so that you can go to heaven. May you know, man, he saved you, he delivered you, he set your feet on a solid rock, and he's still moving in your life today. Raise your children that way. Tell them the truth. Don't hold back. Come on, church. Come on. I think sometimes, nah, never mind. Never mind. So what do we want to do with that? Last night, Malia goes, Pastor, I'll be waiting on your left side. I think you're on, where are you, Malia? Oh, there you are on the left side. Yeah, just like you said. Uh, she said, if you, want, um, if you want the keys, when you do the ministry, just let me know. And I said, I don't know what the ministry is going to be yet, so I'm not sure. Um, would you come, please? And would you put just, yeah. Um, So what do you think about this Jesus that I'm talking about? Not a comic book hero. Uh, Not not some pasty, wimpish person that got pushed around and then just ended up sacrificing his life. What do you think about this man that I'm talking about? This God-man. What do you think about the stories that I'm telling you right now. What do you think about 
when I say, you don't go back to your old life. Well, do you think, pastor, if you only knew? Now, don't you think I know? I try to make it plain and clear to you. I'm in the same boat. Don't you think I know? What do you think about this Jesus? And you're like, Pastor, you challenge me sometimes and it just offends me. Don't be offended. Open your hearts. If I move you closer to following Jesus today, then I did my job. I did my job. And I did it well. So what do you think about this Jesus that I'm preaching right now? So will you pray with me? Father, Uh, this is the point where it really is superfluous. I can't do anything else. I'm not sure <laughs> that it was me who was doing anything anyway. You're great. You're God. You're the deliverer. You're the healer. You're the one who sets free. You're the one who puts our feet on the solid rock. So Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? You're the great deliverer. Hmm. You know, the Lord just brought back to my mind when we were singing, uh, when, when Chase, no, I'm sorry, was it Chase? I'm no longer, yeah, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I was up here dumping all the fear that I have at the feet of Jesus and saying, I am, <laughs> I will not live with this fear on my life. And then I find myself interceding over our church for how many people find themselves in positions of fear. Fear about the future, fear about the past, fear about the present, fear of a person. Fear of a secret. Fear of a secret. Fear of a label. Fear of an event. Fear that the enemy just comes and change you with. And you hear the message and you long for freedom, but you find yourself slipping back, slipping back, slipping back, slipping back. Enough. He is a deliverer. There is no battle against good against evil. The devil is God's devil. God created him. He's already put him in checkmate. Jesus has already won the battle. And do you know the Bible tells us in Revelation, someday at the end of time, the enemy will be held up in front of the nations and the people will say, that's what caused us all the trouble? That? And we will be amazed. What is he good at? Lying. And how powerful is a lie? It enslaves people all around the globe today. We can see it in someone else's lives, but we fail sometimes to see it in ours. And if you are bound by fear and need to be delivered, then I'm telling you the truth. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So, <laughs> if you're bound with some type of fear, I need you to stand to your feet right now. Just need you to stand up. You want to be free of the fear. Here's the price. Humility. Humility. 
humility. You can't fight it anymore. Be humble and admit you need a savior. Admit you need a deliverer. Admit you can't deliver yourself. Admit you can't run away from it anymore. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough time. You don't have enough clothes. You need to be delivered. I want you to just stand up. Just be bold. If you're thinking, I wish I would have stood a moment ago. Do it right now. Just do it. We've got to get over this worried about what everybody else thinks. Freedom is what you need to think about. Freedom. Freedom. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Say it with me. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. That's truth. That is the truth. Now the Lord may say to you, when I'm praying for you, you need to do this. You need to go to someone. You need to let go of something. You need to stop something. You need to start something. You need to walk away from this. You need to walk to this. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit tells you to do, there's a reason He's telling you to do it. On the other side of that instruction is the freedom that you're looking for. Did you just hear what I said? On the other side of the instruction is the freedom that you're looking for. What I'm going to do right now is reinforce the victory that Jesus already won. Not just for the world, but for you. For you. Mm. If you're standing, would you just put your hands like this for me, please? It's just a receiving position. If you're like, I'm just uncomfortable with that, be uncomfortable for just a minute. Just do this for me. Just do it. Father, every one of us who are standing with our arms open are asking to receive your deliverance this morning. Like you did for Mary, Joanna, Susanna, you're still the same God today that you were then and you will be tomorrow. You defeated the enemy with the cross and your resurrection. Now he's a skillful liar, but that's all it is. It's a lie. You deliver us from our past. You deliver us from our mistakes. You forgive our sins, though they be many. He'll make you white as snow. So in the name of Jesus, I pronounce forgiveness on all of you. And in the name of Jesus, I bring deliverance back to you. And in the name of Jesus right now, Satan, I tell you, let go. In Jesus' name. You have no authority. You are trifling with children that belong to God and you will pay a price for this. But know in this place, there's a bloodline here. You're not allowed to cross it. And when these people leave here, they don't leave here without the blood of Christ on them. They leave with the blood of Christ on them. It covers them in their house, in their car, with their family, at their work, when they play, when they sleep, when they get up. It's with them. So I cut off of you every lie. I cut off of you every demonic interception, every, every lie, every whisper, everything that's being reinforced in your life for years, no more. Believe truth right now. You're a child of God. 
child of God, delivered to know and do and be more. And I pronounce that over your life. I want you right now, if you're receiving, I want you to think, what is it that I'm afraid of? And I want you, literally in your mind, I want to see you laying it down in front of Jesus. If it's embarrassment, if it's shame, if you feel like you're the worst sinner, come to Jesus. If you're addicted, if you're hindered, if you're bound up, if it's the same old, same old, no more, 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 no more. Heaven is attracted to boldness. Did you know that? When you stand, you're doing something bold and it's a position of faith. No more, no more, no more, no more, no more fear of the future. No more. No more. Anxiety, no more. Yes. No more. The kingdom of God is upon you. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is upon you. The kingdom of God is here right now. While I'm talking to you, it's been surrounding you. Righteousness, peace, and joy, they belong to you, Chase. They're yours. They're yours. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Young man, righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. It's yours. And instead of lies being bound to you, I bind to you righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to say this one more time before you sit down. Many times when we make this decision, one of two things is going to happen. God will give you an instruction. It may be a crazy one like you need to go ask forgiveness. Or you need to tell this person about this thing. Or you need to take care of something. Or you need to go and do this. Yeah, it, I don't know why. Sometimes I think it's just the obedience of it. Sometimes there's in the act of what God tells us to do. It's just important that we use that faith. But on the other side of that thing is the freedom. The other thing that will happen is the enemy will tell you, see, everything's just the same. I wish I could go with you and shut the mouth of the liar. But you have the power in the name of Jesus to shut the mouth of the liar. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. You are healed, you are saved, you are delivered, and your feet are set on a solid rock. That's the truth. Amen.